Hello, this is Slow Phone Podcast, a podcast about the healthy use of technologies. We are live now. Hello, everyone. We are very happy to be live now with Teodora Scarato from Environmental Health Trust. So, first of all, we thank you very much, Teodora, to accept this invitation. Sorry for my English, but we try our best to have a good conversation. And uh, we invite you because we saw last week um, uh, the participation of EHT on a court of appeal against FCC. So that was very inspiring for us. I think very inspired for the whole world. And we invited you to talk a little bit more about Environmental Health Trust and about this appeal that happened last week. So good morning. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting Environmental Health Trust. We in the United States are watching what you are doing with your a group of scientists and citizens and people who are working with tremendous effort. So I'm thankful and honored to be talking with you today. Thank you very much. So could you explain for us how EHT uh, started? Like what year it started this work, this institution, this movement? Sure. So Environmental Health Trust is uh, has been working on this issue for over a decade. Dr. Deborah Davis, who's one of our, our president and one of our co-founders, has been raising the issue of cell phone and wireless radiation, the impact, especially to children, to the developing brain, to the reproductive system uh, for, for a decade now. And what happened was in the United States, our laws around what is allowable in terms of, you know, how much radiation can you be exposed to from a cell phone or from uh, cell towers? These laws have not been updated since 1996. They were set in 1996 and they haven't changed. So in the United States, the Federal Communications Commission made uh, issued uh, as a statement and made a determination that they did not have to update or change their 1996 wireless radiation exposure limits. So this became an opportunity to have a legal action. So our legal action is very specifically about the decision not to change our 25-year-old wireless radiation limits. And um, what happened was we are contending that the Federal Communications Commission has not looked at all of the evidence that it was provided in an inquiry it opened. So there was, there's been about seven years where scientists and citizens and organizations have submitted evidence to the United States government Federal Communications Commission. And they made their decision not to update the limits, but it seems to us that they have ignored uh, a lot of the evidence that was on the record. So that is what our legal appeal is about. If that makes sense, it's about their decision to keep their 1996 limits and not to change them. Yes, and the FCC is the most important authority in this uh, setting these limits in the United States? 
So they are not a health and safety agency, but they are the agency that makes sure that the regulations are followed re related to cell towers and cell phones in the United States. So they are, uh, they make sure that the laws are, the regulations are being followed. But we are contending that they haven't, you know, they need to look at the science showing harm to birds and bees, harm to trees. They need to look at the science showing that children are more vulnerable because they have developing brains and they there should be special uh, precautions. The people should be informed. The people should be informed that cell phones emit radio frequency radiation and that they're not even tested touching the body, for example. But the FCC has maintained that there doesn't need to be any additional action to inform the public about cell phone radiation and how phones should not be in body contact, you know, not in your bra, not in your pocket, touching close to the body. The FCC is saying that the public is already informed through what they're doing. But I mean, I guess I would ask you, you know, do people really know about this? Do people know that phones are not even tested in body contact to the body? Yes. Yeah. Uh, our friend Roberto Carlos entered, so we invite him to enter in the conversation. Roberto Carlos. Okay, nice to meet you. I'm Roberto Carlos, uh, and I work in um, public prosecution here in Brasilia. And I have uh, worked with this uh, team uh, 10 years, uh, for 10 years, and I have really uh, many difficulties uh, to introduce it here and to discuss it with the authorities. Because normally uh, you have the company of phone operation that uh, lead the, the discussion and that try to say to the people that uh, it's impossible to change the status today because otherwise they won't have uh, a good transmission of phone uh, for our activities uh, nowadays. So uh, this is uh, the, the first problem you have in Brazil. Um, even though people doesn't know about uh, the, the problem that could uh, cause, uh, especially to, to have the, the phone uh, close to the body, as you have uh, just uh, say, uh, you have this problem with the authorities. You don't have uh, a public um, pol uh, pol uh, policy uh, about this theme in Brazil. Uh, even in, in different countries, because um, I do uh, work as a trainee in uh, uh, well, a health uh, organization in Geneva for two months in environmental department. And uh, there is a, a study, as you know, uh, this study that there's decades uh, doesn't have yet a conclusion. It's normally because uh, they have the contribution uh, of money from the companies that uh, is responsible for the, the phones. So uh, it, it's very strange that you don't have a conclusion today. 
In the beginning, uh, they didn't say uh, that phone use could cause some uh, some problem to to the people, but uh, in nineteen um, twenty no in nineteen nineteen uh, I think they they declared in Lyon, France, uh, in in one uh, meeting that uh, the use of phone without uh, uh, cell phone without phones could cause problems, uh, health problems. So it was the first time that uh, the health organization declared this. But you don't have any evidence uh, today about um, the transmission. Um, I, I mean, the I don't know the, the, the term in English. <laughs> uh, the structure to transmit uh, this kind of, of um, uh, electromagnetic field to to uh, to do uh, to do the the phone uh, to work the phones I mean, in Portuguese you see E R B but in English I don't know the name. The cell towers. Ah, that's it. Yeah. So uh, uh, it's really a pleasure to, to talk to someone uh, who has studied and discussed about this team because it's really a very hard one uh, nowadays. Well, thank you so much for your decade of work. I think that it's this is extremely challenging because the wireless industry has exerted so much influence to, into the policy and into the science and makes it seem like there's a controversy when actually the science is the science. And as you said, the World Health Organization, International Agency for Research on Cancer determined a like almost a decade ago now in 2000, well, a, a decade ago in 2011 that radio frequency radiation is a possible carcinogen. That was based on these studies that showed long-term cell phone users, largely based on, not only based on, had uh, increased risk for a type of brain cancer after 10 years of use and heavy use, which was only about 30 minutes a day or so. But now, and since then, the research has accumulated to where scientists are stating that it is certainly a probable, many scientists, if not a proven carcinogen, because mm -hmm. there's animal studies now highly, uh, where the exposure system was, 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 was so carefully controlled that found the same, similar kinds of tumors in animals as has been found in humans. And that was at very intense levels of exposure, mimicking a phone to the head, as in the National Toxicology Program study, where they, uh, that's a US government study, a $30 million study that our, our federal government uh, wanted the, uh, the National Toxicology Program to do in order to see what long-term effects uh, might be in an animal model. And then the Ramazzini study in Italy which used much less lowers of radiation 
comparable to a base station, the cell tower networks, not to a phone to the head, but to a lighter level of exposure, um, low level. And they found increases in the same tumor types. So that in combination with all the research on oxidative stress and the the cell studies and the uh, other animal studies and more human studies that have looked at reproduction, we are waiting for the World Health Organization to have another meeting where they can look at all of the science. Uh, they have been advised to do so, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, but right now that hasn't happened yet. So until that happens, we don't have our, our next determination by this expert group out of the World Health Organization. And um, it might take a few years for that to happen, if at all because of the politics of Yo, Dora, I have a question. Uh, what is your expectation of your guys from the last week appeal? You had like the, the street judges, they are like looking at your case and what are your expectations of this case? Well, we don't know how these cases will go uh, till, till we have the final ruling, however, we had our oral arguments. So that's when we've already submitted our briefs. We've submitted our replies to the FCC. And then we had a three panel, a th- three three judges and uh, time for the judges to ask questions. And we believe that it went very well. The judges clearly read our briefs. They had very pointed questions to uh, the Federal Communications Commission. I'll quote you, Judge, uh, the Honorable Judge Robert L. Wilkins said to the FCC, um, I'm going to be very upfront with why I am inclined to rule against you. And he was asking questions about how did the Federal Communications come to its determination that there was no no reason that, you know, that safety was assured. I'm, I'm summarizing a bit, but he was really getting at why they were relying on the Food and Drug Administration and how the, when the Food and Drug Administration was not sharing uh, extensive information on how they had come to their determination. Because as hard as it is to believe the, 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 um, the statements that seemed to imply their safety were just a few paragraphs. I mean, is our, are we to believe in a few paragraphs without de- full documentation that there is safety? If there's, if safety is assured, we should be she- seeing uh, numerous citations, extensive documentation showing that there is uh, safety. And that was not evident on the record. So the judges were really asking questions. I'll quote Judge Patricia Ann Millett, who said, So I'm trying to understand how the FDA coming back and talking about cell phones that are in a holster where no one keeps them anymore or in a purse where they're not being used at all is, and looking only at cancer, is it all relevant to an inquiry um, into the effect of this radiation from multiple devices used in entirely different ways now in entirely different volumes throughout the population, including children who live on iPads. So- they were, they were really understanding what we were raising in our legal appeal. We were saying it hasn't, 
the issue of cumulative effects has not been looked at. The issue of long-term uh, exposures has not, we don't, we haven't seen safety demonstrated. Um, and all of the science that's on the record has not been addressed by the FCC in, in their response. So, and especially with children, this was one of our most important, well, we had several, but what really important piece was the, was around children. Children are more vulnerable. They have developing brains. They are not little adults. You can't just say, you know, oh, we'll make the model to fit to a child. A child's brain is developing. So even little exposures can have big effects in, in children and in pregnant women. So this was, um, we, we are cautiously optimistic, but we, we hope that, you know, the judges will make the best determination in this case and look at all of the evidence before them. And how the site sees uh, this appeal uh, in terms of, of discussion in the, uh, in the United States now. How is it in the discussion? No, for the society, how the people's, uh, how does the people see uh, this appeal? Well, I think there are many eyes on this this case. In fact, if you go to the court's uh, YouTube, where they have the the, you can listen to the entire oral arguments. This case has many more views than the cases before it. So it's really being watched closely because it goes to the heart of the problem in the United States, which is that we have limits that are outdated. The other aspect of this case that's very important to environmental groups is, is something that we're raising, which is that the there has been no environmental review. The limits that we have were not set for for birds or insects, wildlife, our natural environment. And because of all the antennas that are being proposed and being built in the United States in the name of 5G and 4G densification, this is increasing the exposure to, to wildlife. And yet we've never, the United States has not taken a, a hard look at the impact that this will have to our, our natural environment. So that's another important piece. And um, we're thankful that environmental groups are starting to look at this and uh, see it as an environmental issue. Do you have a special uh, pol uh, politic about health environment as you have in Europe, especially in France? Do, do we have a special politic? No, we, we don't. But in Europe, they have um, they have the same politic for environment and health mm. because the team you are discussing about um, it's touch it touched uh, environment and health. So the question is: Is there in, in new, new United States uh, this kind of politics? I mean, uh, this uh, a common politic for the environment and for the health? Well, we have a, a law that we believe should be followed, which is about environmental policy, the National uh, Environmental Policy Act, which 
which would ensure that there is um, that the environment impacts to the environment, which include humans, is is adequately uh, evaluated. But that has not happened with certainly with the rollout of 5G in communities. And it's it's a key as key part of the case. So the National Resources Defense Council submitted an amicus brief in the case going over the history of the limits and how there, there needs to be adequate environmental review. What's happening is the FCC is uh, has attempted to, on numerous occasions, not to have to do an environmental review related to small cells in the United States. Okay. Uh, we are very happy to listen the judges and the attorney of EHT talking about non-thermal uh, effects and biological effects. And yes. in, in some moment, even the, the judge was uh, aware of the, um, the difference of just thermal effects and biological effects. And the, the woman that was talking um, in the name of FCC, I don't remember her name, but she. I remember she said something that uh, is not scientific proved that uh, biological effects exist. So this was very impressive for us to listen. And I, I was happy that the even the judge was saying that uh, the FCC is ignoring the biological effects. What do you think about that? I, I was very impressed that the judges knew, understood the term because that was something that you, sometimes it takes people a long time to understand what we're talking about when we talk about biological effects or thermally based effects. Uh, but yes, it was, I was quite impressed that, and that was why we know the judges read our brief. You know, they really were thinking about it and looking at what we said because they understood what we were talking about. They understood that the uh, that the way that we test phones and the way we measure cell tower radiation, that those limits that are the threshold benchmarks that are used are only based on the outdated, uh, no longer accurate paradigm that heating is the only harm. And it's only about heating. And that goes for this 50-fold this, uh, safety factor, which is actually non-existent. It keeps being raised. It is, there is no 50-fold safety factor. And even if there was, it would only be based on the thermal is the only harm concept, which is erroneous and doesn't apply. We know there are biological effects. I mean, that's documented. Even the scientists who are putting forward ICNRP limits would, uh, I believe, confirm that there are biological effects from non-ionizing radiation. What they say is that those are not health effects, which we find, um, which, which we would counter and say that, you know, cancer and uh, oxidative stress, uh, the, these, you know, these are these are health effects. These are affecting our health, certainly. So, what kind of argument did you uh, uh, did you do uh, in this case? It, was it a precautionary principle? 
actually, um, we would uh, we are stating that these the science uh, is the science, and this isn't necessarily although we don't talk about the precautionary principle in the case, but we're sort of past that because there is such a large and ever growing body of science demonstrating adverse effects that that these simply are science-based recommendations to minimize exposure as much as possible. It's not that we don't know. We know. Okay. It's not, um, now there's a lot still to learn. There's a lot of science that has yet to be done, but in light of what we have now, there is enough to make the determination that exposure needs to be minimized, that companies need to create uh, safer technology that, you know, modulation, the issue of modulation is not um, fully, uh, you know, we're not even measuring it adequately when the way the FCC does their, uh, their, their, uh, their regulations around this. So modulation is just getting lost, but modulation is an important part of biological effects that has been really left out. So, Teodora, could you could you explain for us uh, what's the history of this specific case, uh, uh, the case that we had last week, the appeal? Could you explain for us a little br briefly um, how this case started and why it's so important this appeal that happened last week for for United States and for the world? Okay, so eight years ago there was a report by the United States Government Accountability Office uh, urging the Federal Communications Commission to reassess and, if appropriate, change the radio frequency exposure limits and the mobile phone testing requirements, like the way we test devices as well as what the limits are. That uh, led to the Federal Communications Commission to launch uh, what in the United States is called an inquiry an official inquiry in 2013, and they asked several questions. They asked, are the United States cell phone, wireless, and cell tower radiation limits safe for humans? Do children need special protections? Should companies change the way they test the radiation from phones? Because, and they specifically brought up, there is a separation between the phone and the body in the tests. Should we change this? Um, so an inquiry in the United States means that scientists or nonprofits, organizations, anyone, citizens, residents can actually, and from all actually around the world, and that is what happened around the world, submitted into a docket, which is where you are sending information to be on the record. So that happened for seven years. Um, Environmental Health Trust sent our published science, we sent numerous publications, many scientists submitted information, as well as people who had been harmed by uh, wireless non-ionizing radio frequency. They were submitting their personal testimony about the impacts to their lives and how when they tried to get accommodations, like having reduced exposure because they were uh, getting sick, from exposure, how they were denied those accommodations because 
uh, agencies were stating, well, the FCC limits are the following, so we're not going, we don't need to accommodate you. We don't need to, to give you what you need for various reasons. So all of this was put on the record. Uh, then, um, after over a thousand submissions, the FCC made a decision. They closed the docket. That means they said no one can submit anymore. We are making a determination based on this information. And they determined that there was no need to change their limits. That was their decision that their, their law, they have a long statement about this. Um, although only a few paragraphs are actually dedicated to this inquiry that opened in 2013. So our legal appeal is about their decision not to update their limits. We are contending that they made that decision without looking at the evidence that was before them, if that makes sense. So it really is going to the heart of the, the outdated limits related to wireless. But it is even more important in the case of, because of 5G, because now I'm going into our regulations and maybe you have a similar process, but for 5G, the companies wanna use higher frequencies and they also wanna use lower frequencies for, um, for wireless charging and other applications. So the FCC is actually making new, uh, proposing new limits for higher frequencies that we've never had ex human exposure limits for and for lower ones. And they are making that saying that these can be thermally based and um, I'm gonna summarize now, uh, and that you know th they're making these limits based on their determination, which we, which we are addressing that, that heating is the only harm and that the limits they have from 1996 are in fact appropriate. So that's why our case is so important for 5G because the FCC is using the decision we are taking court action about to make these other limits for 5G and for uh, wireless power transfer and so forth. So it's really important that we address this in the United States, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yes, thank you very much. And uh, before we go to Daniela's question, just uh, ask uh, if the, there is uh, international consequences about uh, what the judges decide or the, term, the, the determination, the ruling now of, of the, um, the judges in this case, do you think there is some international consequences? We believe that there are, because in the world, worldwide, there are basically three, well, there's, there's, there's countries that use FCC limits. There's countries that use ICNR limits, um, International Commission for Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection. Uh, they adopt those limits. And then there are countries that, that have taken um, either a precautionary stance, they have lower limits that they have in place. And, the, and then, so there's really four ways. And there's countries that have a science-based limit, which is even lower than ICNRP, um, such as Russia and China, uh, who have evaluated the science and, and have a lower allowable limit. So we believe that this case is very important worldwide because of the because of the way that different countries have taken on different limits. Um, you know what will it mean? I mean, we are 
pointing out that the research has not been fully evaluated. We believe across the world, there has been no adequate review of the science, not the impacts to humans, to the natural environment, uh, to insects, bees, pollinators. This has not adequately been done and it is urgent. What is happening in Brazil um, that, that right now in terms of the limits? Can you give me a brief update? <laughs> Uh, you, you don't have, uh, as I, I told you in the beginning, there is no this kind of discussion. There is some decision um, in different tribunals, uh, courts in the country, but uh, the aim of the problem has not been discussed um, yet. But um, we, uh, especially, especially public uh, prosecutors, uh, are working about this uh, in Brasilia, for example, I have um, a document that tried to identify all the towers, base towers in, in Brasilia uh, to do uh, a work uh, in terms of policy. But it's quite difficult because you have an opportunity here. And uh, when we had a law that prohibit to have this kind of equipment in in the schools. So you recommend because you uh, the uh, the prosecutor here in Brazil has this uh, uh, this kind of work uh, in the area of environment and law um, uh, in health law. So you can recommend to the authorities to do something or to not do. It. So we recommend to take off this equipment from uh, the schools, but uh, the the companies, uh, cell company, uh, did uh, a pre uh, a kind of um, oppression to the parliament. So they um, they they did um, uh, what they did. They they took this. Uh, this law way. So oh. you see, you see uh, how this kind of pressure uh, is very frequently in our country. So uh, it's not easy to work, but even though uh, these difficult, the difficulties, uh, you, you go on. And I would like to know um, if uh, you know in the different other countries, uh, if there's some kind of work um, in this uh, in this sense, I mean, uh, to combat this uh, this kind of em uh, emission uh, of radiation without limits, is there? Uh, do you know groups in different other countries that's working on this uh, this cause? Yes. Yeah, so there. There are legal actions happening right now in uh, India, in the United Kingdom, uh, and in many, many countries at, at different levels. I will say that uh, in um, Switzerland, they reviewed the science uh, on 5G, and actually the parliament refused to weaken their much stricter radio frequency radiation limits after the report was issued. So they have maintained 
much more stringent allowable limits for radio frequency. I know that in uh, Russia and Israel and in Greece there and in Lithuania, um, as well as Chile, they do not, or the law is that they can't have cell towers uh, on schools. I also know that in several states in India, they have banned, um, they've actually taken down cell towers that were near or on school property. Um, in Cyprus, the Cyprus National Committee on Environment and Children Health has uh, issued a position paper on 5G, but as well, they have removed Wi-Fi from the Archbishop Macarius III Hospital, the neonatal unit and the pediatric unit. We just, I'll share with you, we put up their video. Uh, it's a one minute video on the changes they made in the hospital. And they have a nationwide campaign educating parents on how to reduce exposure to children. In France, there are 60 mayors and elected officials petitioning to halt 5G. In Italy, there are over 600 municipalities with resolutions to halt 5G. And across Europe, there's actually many cities that have um, passed resolutions calling to halt the rollout of 5G until safety is assured both in France, the UK, uh, Cyprus, Ireland, uh, and more. So um, one of the issues is transparency. You know, where are the towers? What is the level from these, from the uh, cell tower, the base stations? And one, one challenge we have is people even knowing where they are. So whereas other countries are already posting, they, they measure real-time measurements of the radiation, they put those measurements up so they're publicly accessible. And this is what we would consider to be a very important first step. Uh, it's, you know, past due. This should, everyone, every country should be posting where are the towers, what is the radiation from the towers, and where are they being proposed? Because until we have that, we don't even know what we're dealing with. And I guess my, my question is with Brazil, just uh, scientists from Brazil have published numerous studies on this issue. Um, I just saw the, it was a study called the effect of continuous low intensity exposure to electromagnetic fields um, from radio base stations to cancer mortality in Brazil uh, that found higher exposure to radio frequency radiation from base stations was linked to increased deaths to all cancers. You have some incredible research coming out of your country by your yeah. own scientists. Yes. Yeah, I would like to add something that uh, Roberto Carlos said about the situation in Brazil. We actually had these very good uh, scientists, but, uh, and we produce very good papers on this subject. And uh, we like to highlight the, some cities in south of Brazil uh, like some cities in Santa Catarina state is a state in south of Brazil that had like two cities that could have a stricter, stricter, stricter um, regulation on just in the city, not a national level, but oh. in, the, in two cities. But this was 10 years ago. No, 20 years ago. And some um, regulations changed, but... Uh, around 2001, 2002, they got approved these uh, stricter resolutions, uh, regulations, close to um, Austria, 
close to Salzburg in Austria, the same level of Salzburg. Oh. So the city is called Criciúma and Sara in south of Brazil. Are and they Austria. still in place? Are those limits still in place? I don't think so, because the, the company's pressure was so high. All the time. Yes, I think they, they change. Maybe Isara, I think, is still some, some kind. I'm not sure. And also Porto Alegre had some good movements and also some re uh, resolution. Is the city of Alvaro yeah. and the same state of Claudio. And they, they had a pill, a, a letter. And uh, basically, Brazil follows ICNIRP. The, the regulation of Brazil uh, follows what ICNIRP said. That's why we are doing a movement of uh, writing a letter to WHO to, to review, to update their levels, because we believe that's the way. We cannot, uh, like, because the Brazilian authorities always will say, ah, we follow ICNIRP. ICNIRP is the world authority, so we follow ICNIRP. So we, we realize that we should focus on ICNIRP and WHO, to, to update this level. So that's, we are doing this movement. But, but ICNRP limits, there are many deficiencies in terms of the adequate protection. For sure. For sure. They don't sure. even deal with bees or insects or birds. So this is not, this, this is not, it's not just that there's scientifically not protecting against health effects it's that they are not they were not developed to protect animals so i think that from an environmental perspective this is one area that can be this is something that can be raised uh you know in brazil is that you must protect the trees and the bees and the birds and the trees i mean how how can we have limits that were never even set to protect it's not, you know, I mean, I think this is really, really important. I'll add one thing. In some countries, the uh, wireless companies have put millions of dollars into having them change their limits, just like you're describing. So sadly, recently in the Ukraine and Poland changed their limits, which were far more strict to allow more radiation because of heavy lobbying uh by the wireless industry. And um, this is, I'm just thankful that your organization has working tremendously on this issue. This is, it can't come fast enough. Yeah. It's a worldwide movement. I believe the transparency that you said before is very important, like the right of information that we are, we all as citizens, we, ha we have this right of information so the transparency, I think, is very strategic, strategic to ask for the, the federal commissions because they cannot deny from the citizen the right of information. And that's also because it's a very technical subject. Um, even if the people know, oh, this is the radiation in this neighborhood or in this street, but how can you guys uh, work with like the um, education or like to make people know what means this information that comes from transparency. You understand my question? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the work that needs to be done, which you're doing by having having this, this video that clearly you've been working on for a decade or more. That's, 
that's important is getting people educated so that they look up from their phone and start to think about what this could mean. We, we think that the, the, um, the scientific imaging done by Brazilian scientists on the absorption of the electric field into the body is an important piece of science to share because it's invisible, so we can't see it. So it's very easy to ignore this issue or to just think, oh, I love my phone. I, I love, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be bothered with this. But when you look at the research coming out of Brazil from Claudio Fernandez and Dr. De Salas, in all of this research is critical. It shows this is going into our body. We can't ignore this. This is going into our body, just like we eat food or you know, we breathe the air. Our body is being impacted by these, you know, by these fields. Yes, that's the yeah. very important job from the, our education job to make visible the invisible. This is very important because ah, it's invisible, so it's harmful less because it's invisible. So I think there's a lot of work on education or make the invisible visible and to, you know? Yes, I, you know, maybe, um, so um, uh, Professor Claudio Fernandez research uh, that we helped to support that studies that looked at the field into the brain of a child compared to an adult, but also virtual reality, where they are for 5G, they're putting phones all across the United States, I'm sure in Brazil too, they're putting phones into these cardboard things or into the right in front of the eyes of children. And where are the limits that ever looked at what was safe for a child's eyes? I have not seen any limits that were designed to protect child's eyes that even looked at what would the impact be to their eyes. Whereas out of Brazil has come this research, you know, looking at that, what is the, what is the um, intensity that you would get into different tissues of the eyes and the brain and, and so forth. All of this is critical. And I think that parents, if they can see this, they will start to want to be get educated on this because it is a little hard to understand. I mean, it took me a while to understand this. I didn't know what a thermal was, a non-thermal. You know, this was all new to me a decade ago. And uh, it took me time to understand it. So the more you create information to educate people, do you have an educational campaign going? I guess that's your campaign. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to come back a little bit just to explain to you our system. We are uh, a federal republic as United States. So you have some laws for all the country. And the federal agency uh, have as pace, as Adriano said, uh, the economic limits. And in the, in the courts, when you have this kind of discussion, they use to, to base their, uh, their arguments uh, in economic limits, because you have this this law here in Brazil for all the countries. But uh, in each state, they 
have uh, the opportunity to fix different limits. That's why he explained in the south of Brazil, you have different uh, states that uh, the limit is, is quite different than, than the normal. But the argument uh, still yet by the companies when you have uh, a litigation uh, is exactly the, the, the opposite as you, you discuss here. They used to say there is no conclusion of science before, uh, yet. It's not truth. So I think you could uh, work with these papers because uh, this kind of argument could change um, the sentence and the course. Uh, secondly, you have, um, you have uh, the problem of consumers because uh, the, the federal agency says that uh, the transparency and the transparency and the um, clear information is offered by his um, his site. You know, they put everything in this on the site, but it's not true because this kind of information is not there. So um, I think you can dispart and, and initiate um, a very good debate in Brazil about the consequence of. Uh, the use of this kind of uh, cell phones or this kind of uh, of um, machine, because uh, people doesn't know that's that's the problem. That's why uh, I suggest Adriano to create a, a national forum mm. to have this kind of discussion and for the education. And <clears throat> you have, as I, I told you. You have a very different uh, system um, relative to the public uh, persecution laws, because in Brazil it's not, it's just not the ONG that um, have the legitimacy to to introduce action. I know to um, to appeal and to introduce different cases. The public um, prosecution office has this uh, charge too. So you have a specialized uh, prosecutor uh, in, the, in the area of health, in the area of environment, as me, uh, in the area of consumers. So you could do a different, uh, different work with uh, these professionals uh, trying to show that the limits from uh, ignorance doesn't protect the uh, the natural uh, belongs. I mean, uh, the the trees, the the animal, as you said. I, I think that could be that could be uh, the the beginning of this discussion and, and a different view of uh, the problem here in our country. Let, let's see some questions from the people that are watching us. Okay. Aline, can you put the first question, please? Daniela, so Theodora questions. So the intention of the lawsuit against FCC is to have the right of information with regard on the limits exposure. This is the second part. And it's decreased to a level that's safe and tolerable to all kinds of life in the planet. Regulation with regards 
to where the cell phones tower are installed and routers. The third part, outside of schools and hospitals as a way of protective regulation. Well, the lawsuit is, is stating that the FCC did not look at the record. So ultimately, of course, what we want is for there to be regulations in place that are protective of people, that are protective of children and protective of wildlife and the natural environment. So that is our ultimate, um, you know, one of our ultimate goals in our work that we've been doing for years on this. But the lawsuit is specifically stating that the FCC did not adequately give a hard look to the evidence that was placed before them because they made a decision and we are countering that decision. We absolutely would want protections in place for children, for schools, for neighborhoods. And uh, until we have federal law that is protective, we can't, we can't get this in place without, there's just, there's the federal law is overriding uh, local communities who are trying to have protections in place. I have a question. Uh, the limits of SEC are stricter than ICNIRP nowadays? They, they are quite similar to ICNIRP. There are some differences depending on the frequencies, but they are, uh, when it, well, let me say this. When it comes to cell tower networks, FCC and ICNIRP are, pretty, are very similar. Um, certainly compared to the city, the um, countries in Europe that have far more protective limits uh, in Russia, uh, China, uh, and, and India. However, the cell phone limit, the allowable exposure from a cell phone when it goes on the market, there was actually quite a difference, although they're still both are non-protective. But in that case, the FCC actually has a stricter limit in terms of what's allowed. However, it is not protective by any measure at all. So, but it is less than ICNRP allows. Oh, okay. Um, so can we, the second question? Sorry, I'm gonna. There's another question. No. I can't tell what I, I don't know what the where the how I would find the question. Is it what's in the chat? The the private chat? Comments. Oh. Ah, okay. There's a comment from Claudio Fernandez. Can we put it on? Claudio Fernandez, I would like to thank you the support offered by EHT to our work. Thanks. To this support, we had the opportunity to develop more articles and present at more Congress, got to know more researchers, with some of whom we have exchanged into today, such as Rodolfo Tuzet. Well, I want to say that I am honored to be working with um, Professor Claudio Fernandez and, and, and Professor de Sales and, and the team uh, out of Brazil. It is our honor because I think that the work is tremendous and we would like to support um your work in any way and we also um i i just i'm honored so mm -hmm. i think that you're very uh lucky in brazil to have scientists who are working on this issue and who understand it so i hope that you know i'd love to see 
their presentations, and I know they're working very hard. It's um, it's quite challenging to be working on this issue in any country. Yes, and it's courageous. Yes, it's very challenging because we are living as a scientific uh, negation. I don't know how you call like to be non-scientific, the same like we are experiencing COVID-19 and these other subjects, we have the same as the science uh, is struggling to have their their role, their place in a, in a moment that we have like major authorities saying whatever they want about anything with no scientific uh, basis. So we are struggling to have more uh, giving more voice to the scientists, specifically in this case, because I believe that's the way to have to protect life, animal life, and make the plants life, trees life. Because, as you said, we have very important issues in the environment and in the health. And I ask you if there's some other uh, organization and groups in in this lawsuit with you guys, or it just EHT with. Oh, I'm glad that you asked that. So um, we filed in the DC Circuit Court, Children's Health Defense filed in the California Circuit Court, and then our cases were consolidated. So uh, it is, we our briefs are submitted jointly and the oral arguments were a joint uh, presentation of the arguments. And there are 14 petitioners actually in the case, including consumers for safer cell phones and numerous individual petitioners as well. So uh, this was um, not just Environmental Health Trust, although our uh, legal team has expertise in the Administrative Procedures Act and the National uh, Environmental Policy Act. Um, and we really thought long and hard before taking this on because uh, it's not, you know, we, we haven't, this would be our first legal action of this kind, but we knew that we were in a good position to do so. We also submitted, I think our scientists, uh, over 60 of our submissions are considered the evidence used in the index for the case, although we submitted more than that to the record at hand. But it's very important to anyone watching around the world to have the evidence submitted on the record so that when it comes to the legal challenge, which you ultimately may do, you can point back to this information. Don't hesitate, just get it all on the record. All of the science out of Brazil, the Brazilian researchers who are publishing on this, that should all be put onto the official record. I also yes. want to point out um, a paper was just published Electromagnetic Radiation as an Emerging Driving Factor for the Decline of Insects by Alfonso Balmori, uh, which is pointing to the science on the impact to insects as a, as a factor. Um, there's just, it's every day there's new science being published and we try to categorize it and get it out. We, we are still submitting to the FCC record. So right now we have other inquiries that are open that are streamlining 5G or have to do with wireless frequencies. And we are submitting to the record now, at least uh, you know once a month, or, or we are putting more information on the record so that if not us, but whoever decides to do a court case will have the, the science to back up what their, what their argument is.
Yes. And another strategy that we are thinking about is about uh, electro hypersensibility and all the people that um, relate that feel these symptoms of EHS. So this is much more known in the United States than in Brazil. I'm sure in Brazil, 99% of the doctors don't have any idea what EHS is. And I think a lot of people come to the doctors and tell them, I'm, I'm feeling headache, I, I had insomnia, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling dizzy, and I'm feeling confused and tired, and my immunological system is bad, and the doctors don't have any idea. Most of the doctors, I think there's maybe some, some doctors have this knowledge, but we are thinking about a very a large campaign about giving visibility to EHS. Like you, you have other groups of people that suffer some specific disease or some minorities that uh, struggle for their society visibility. So we believe that uh, EHS deserves visibility. So I ask you if you guys have thought something about visibility of EHS and how do you think like the medical, um, the doctors work in, with that? So um, th this is an important aspect in our case also, because to the FCC record were numerous submissions by people who have electromagnetic sensitivity and who have not been able to get accommodations in very, you know, from a smart meter or in school and so forth. We think this is, uh, key because the FCC completely ignored these submissions. Now in the United States, we've had a number of public relate like uh, news stories that have featured people with sensitivity who've not been able to get accommodated for, you know, some like, smart meters were put on their homes and they're trying to get it changed out and they're told they can't, for example. So uh, the, the problem with this issue is that the there's a lot of science out there influenced by industry often, uh, oftentimes, or with ties to industry, which seems to make it be a, a mental health issue rather than a physiological, biological issue of which has been shown in studies in terms of biological impacts to people from this radiation. But most recently, I, I hope that you're aware about the National Academy of Sciences report on the impacts to diplomats, there's been uh, diplomats in several countries that have had headaches, neurological problems, uh, all kinds of, of physical issues and uh, neurological issues of which the National Academy of Sciences put forward a report that the most plausible uh, reason that they're being impacted is, is pulsed radio frequency radiation. And this uh, is what the diplomats are displaying is of course, what people with electromagnetic sensitivities are reporting. Dr. Beatrice Golem had published a paper which was presented to experts in the US government saying exactly that, that what you are seeing in the diplomats is what the uh, what people with electromagnetic sensitivity are reporting? What impacts the impacts of electromagnetic radiation are, and they actually did brain imaging 
uh, showing uh, damage to the brains. And I don't know if you know that in the United States, firefighters have, um, have called for not having their fire stations have cell towers on top. And that goes back to uh, research that was done many years ago where they did brain imaging of firefighters and found damage to their brains. Susan Foster, who's a medical writer in the United States, has uh, talked about that. And I can send you that if you if you would like. But it's it's all part of the same picture. Yeah, maybe we could uh, work together to find a way to to do a worldwide worldwide visibility on EHS. Maybe choose a month or a day in a year like in Brazil, you have the, the name of colors in, in, in months, like you have October pink to give uh, visibility to breast cancer and November blue to, to other kinds of cancer. So we could think to, uh, together and work together to do a worldwide visibility on EHS because I think in the next years, this will grow a lot a lot of people you go to will start to more more and more go to doctors and relate symptoms and we need that the doctors we need that doctors know more about this subject yes more this is very important Did, um we had a medical conference that just completed it was the electromagnetic fields medical conference um we did it virtually because of covid so medical doctors across the world can actually now take this course because it was live. It just ended last week. It included treatment uh, for electromagnetic sensitivity, a review of the issue, really what medical doctors need to know about this issue. But now that it's over, the uh, doctors can still watch the videos and take the course virtually and get continuing medical education for it. Now, um, we are hoping to have it translated into many different languages, and this is what is needed because medical doctors need to know when a client com patient comes in and they have headaches, like you said, they often don't know, but if they don't realize that they could tell the client, look, why don't, let's try, you, know, you wanna do a whole diagnosis, but also to be aware of the issue of electromagnetic radiation because there are so many people who are suffering from symptoms from overexposure, but they are not aware and their doctors are not aware of the uh, impact of electromagnetic fields. Theodora, this that conference was, was just for doctors or was open It was a medical conference. So you could attend if you were not a medical doctor, if you were a health professional, I'm a social worker, so I can get continuing medical education as well. But anyone, anyone can uh, could could attend. But if you're a medical doctor, it was for medical doctors, so it was to educate doctors, and uh, you get a continuing education credit. You know, every year, as a professional in the United States, professionals have to go to school for a couple hours. I have about thirty hours a year to make sure that we're up to date with the latest science. And this meets those requirements. I'm sure in Brazil and you know across the world, medical doctors have something like this where you go to conferences and you know get get credits. So it's EMF Medical Conference 2021. 
and it will be available for doctors across the world now to get credit. So Sylvia is, Sylvia is watching us here and she said she attended to the conference and she will help with the translation to Portuguese. So okay, thank you very much, Sylvia. I'm going to put a link in the chat. I'm not sure if I'm reaching everyone with this chat, but I'll just put it in there. That's wonderful. So the whole conference was on EMF. <clears throat> All only on electromagnetic fields. Oh my God, that's yes. incredible. And we had some of the top experts in the in the world. Uh, not all. It, it really. I hope that the next conference is longer and include more scientists. Um, but it did have an incredible amount of information. We also yeah. made a film called uh, Prisoners Without Bars, which is about people with electromagnetic sensitivity and chemical sensitivity. You're talking about raising awareness on this issue. Um, that was screened as well as Generation Zapped, I think excerpts from that. And we have a uh, on Environmental Health Trust, ehtrust.org, which is a, our organization's website, ehtrust.org. We have a list of movies that are about electromagnetic radiation. I don't know which are translated. Um, they all need to be translated. But uh, any if people are translating and you have materials, we would love to see them and put them up on a page so that we can then share, showcase them as well. We, we have a question here in Portuguese. I asked uh, Aline to put in Portuguese, eBase Soluções. Uh, he's asking, how you do the diagnosis of EHS? Well, that is discussed at length in the conference and there's also some, uh, some published papers on this. There, there are some challenges in terms of biomarkers, because it's not just like there's one, there's not one thing that then you can come to this conclusion. And I am not a medical doctor, so I'm only going to answer this to the degree I can, which is that uh, doctors have a series of tests that they do, and they also have a lot of questions and a clinical interview that they do to understand the person's exposures and also um, tests related, blood tests and other tests uh, to to understand more what's going on in the person's physio physiology. And I'll put in the chat, I have a list of um, papers where they write this up. If I put something in the chat, will it be able to be seen by everyone who's on the call? You can put in the private chat, then we put in the comments. Okay. Now, the um, Dr. Rena Bray, a medical director of the Environmental Health Clinic of Women's College uh, in University of Toronto, has uh, William, a... Yeah. What? We, Dr. William Rhea. Rhea. Uh, Rena Bray, actually. Uh, oh, okay. I'll, I'll tell you a few. Um, I'm putting a page that has this information. She has a preliminary clinical practice guidelines in the diagnosis and management of electromagnetic fields sensitivity. In addition, the Austri Austrian Medical Association has a guideline for differential diagnosis and treatment of problems associated with outdoor and indoor electrosmog. And I'm gonna put those in the chat um, so that you have the links to them.
Okay. It's gonna take me a minute. We we don't have here in Brazil um, someone that I know that's very specialist on EHS diagnosis. Would be very nice if we, you can you could uh, suggest us a specialist that could we could schedule a conversation like later in this month about EHS subject because this is very important. So if you can think about someone that could talk with like a doctor maybe with property about EHS would be very, very nice. I would be glad to. I think um, between Canada and Austria, there will be a doctor who could speak with you more. I'm not a medical doctor, so I um, am more focused on the policy. And I try to make sure that people have the information they need or need, know where to go to get the information that they need. So I'll put, I'm putting in the chat, uh, Dr. Rena Bray's information and the Austrian Medical Association as well. And also Erica Mallory Blythe of the United Kingdom has a working draft on electrohypersensitivity as well. Oh, thank you very much, Teodora. Okay, I think uh, we are um, reaching the end of our conversation. So we thank you very much, the people that were watching. A lot of people, a lot of questions will be recorded on YouTube. So you later you can see all the comments. A lot of are in Portuguese, but some are in English. And thank you very much, Roberto Carlos. I would uh, uh, give the words to you guys to give your words. I just want to ask the, the, the last question. Do you know if there is a website specialized um, in this uh, team with the information articles and uh, different point of views? What is a good website that has all of the information? Yes. The, uh, that uh, have all the information, I mean, uh, a special one is not uh, specialized uh, in different point of view, but uh, with uh, different articles, uh, different uh, professionals, and not uh, especially medical professionals and, and so on. Well, you're asking about what websites have this information. I would state Environmental Health Trust, ehtrust.org. The Bioinitiative has uh, detailed uh, reports that they've done on different endpoints. They also have, I would point out in the Bioinitiative to go to the, um, the updates because they also have more recent compendiums of the science and abstracts of the science. Uh, so, and there are many other websites around uh, microwave news. If you're familiar with that, that is a journal online reporting on the issue, the policy, the science related to electromagnetic fields as well. And ORSA, of course, um, the Oceana, um, let me get you the link to it actually. Someone that you may want to, um, oh, and let me not mention, uh, let me not forget Physicians for Safe Technology as well, but the, the 
is a website also, the Oceana Radio Frequency Science Advisory Association. It's a searchable database on the peer-reviewed scientific studies related to electromagnetic radiation. And um, they have been working hard in this, uh, in this field as well. And Victor Leach, I just interviewed him. I have on our YouTube, on Environmental Health Trust YouTube, we have a lot of our talks which you are welcome to translate any of our talks and our materials so that you can share this information. But he talks a lot about ICNRP and uh, the, the inadequacies of ICNRP limits to protect human health and the environment. Okay, and I would love to interview you. I, I just want to hear more about what's been happening in Brazil as well. So I hope we can connect after. I can yeah, have you sure. on, our, on our channel talking about uh, probably, uh, yeah, you have to connect each other and uh, try to uh, to build something here in terms of education and uh, divulgation. Yes. Wonderful. I'm, so I'm thank you very much, you. Roberto Carlos. Um, uh, there's the link to EHT YouTube channel. So thank you very much, Roberto Carlos. Thank you very much, Eudora, for your time. We look forward to work together to build this awareness in this very, very important subject to the future generations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.